Hey, before we, uh, before we jump in today, uh, I want to share a couple things. First off, this last year we made a change. We didn't do a um, back-to-school fair in our backyard here. Instead, we kind of changed gears a little bit. We called the schools and asked them what the needs were. And um, instead of hearing about school supplies, normal school supplies, we heard a little bit more about like some basic needs uh, that, that sometimes students have. I mean, as basic as like underwear and socks, deodorant, uh, feminine hygiene products, all kinds of different things. And so this year we did a school blitz instead. And so you brought all kinds of supplies and you'll see on the screen here, uh, the staff here about a week and a half ago had the opportunity to put all of that together and deliver it to every single school here in Portage. And uh, two truck beds full of well, enough underwear to put underwear on everybody in Portage, at least once. So I want to say thank you. Congratulate yourselves. You guys did a great job. And uh, we heard a lot of gratitude and uh, a lot of surprise at uh, a church that would, you know, buy some of the things and share some of the things that we did. So I want to thank you for representing the church well in that. Also, uh, yesterday, and you'll, you'll see some pictures on the screen here, a, a group of people headed out to Gary. Gary had a cleanup day, and we've been working on a group called Together for the Region. So we, we have stickers on our walls and bumper stickers and all that says, says that we're for the region. But uh, that doesn't mean anything unless you do something. <laughs> and so we've been working with other churches to see what it looks like together for the region. And so we headed to Gary. There was a couple of other churches that were involved as well. There's about 25, 30 people from our church that uh, jumped on board with that. And uh, we cleaned up four city lots that were in desperate need of cleaning up. And uh, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And uh, I just want to say that the group of people that went, if you want to know what it looks like to be for the region, I think there's another uh, section of slides too where uh, you can see some more pictures. Um, this is what it looks like. It looks like a group of people who are willing to be selfless, sacrificial of their time, willing to go low, to serve other people with nothing in return. And uh, I want to congratulate you for doing that. At the same time, yeah. If you want to know where the church is headed, if you want a picture of what it looks like to be a real-life community church, this is it. This is also a picture of what leadership in this church looks like as well. It looks like going low, it looks like serving, it looks like sacrifice, and not being about ourselves, but about being for others. And uh, I just wanna thank you for going on that journey with me and for representing that well. So, last week, last week we jumped into our series, One Creed, and uh, the word creed means belief. That's what that word means. And through the centuries, the Apostles' Creed, which we recited earlier, has set the mark. Like, it's, it's the baseline for the basics of the Christian faith. These are, these are things that all Christians in all time agree are essential. These are non-negotiables. So in the Creed, we find that there's more that we actually have in common than what divides us. And that's one of the reasons that we're looking at this Creed today. And through these couple of months as we head up towards... Advent, yes, Christmas is coming. I know I just threw that out there, but some of y'all are decorating for Halloween already, so I'm okay bringing up Christmas. Um, but we're doing this because 
in a divided world, there are some things that actually unite us. There are some things that do bring us together. These things in the creed are some of those central aspects. And we find out that we have a whole lot more in common than what divides us. So last week, we talked about how this creed shows us, in the end, what we have. That's really what the creed does. It shows us what we as followers of Jesus have, you and I. And so today, the phrase is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So a couple things first. I'm, I love when things add up. I'm a, I'm a pragmatist. I love logic. Uh, I want to know that if I do A and I do B, I'm going to get what? C, right? How many of you think that works every time? Okay. But, but it feels good when it does, right? I, I just want to know that life works that way. I did the right thing here, and I tied it to the right thing there, and this is the end result. It's very prescriptive, it's very logical, it helps me sleep at night, it does all that kind of different stuff. And I think that sometimes, when we approach things spiritually, we want things explained in such a way that we, we can agree with the logic of it, and then say, yes, I believe that. A plus B equals this, and spiritually, I can see how those connect, and it makes sense, and it's logical, it's predictive, and I believe now. I believe. But then God does this thing where like A and B are just weird. They don't, like, they're not logical. It, they don't make sense. Like a virgin birth or a resurrection. When A and B are things that go beyond logic, what do you think C is going to be? Okay, so the things that we say we believe that are in the creed go beyond logic, okay? They require something more. They, they require us to go a little bit further than just our, our desire for it to be neat and clean and logical. It requires faith. It requires faith. And so the Apostles' Creed was not written to explain what we believe. That's not what the intent of the Apostles' Creed is. It doesn't explain what we believe, uh, it also isn't used as like an evangelistic tool. It's not there to convince other people that they should believe these things. That's not why the Apostles' Creed's there. So when you and I recite the creed, we're not explaining what we believe. We're actually confessing what we believe. So when you recite the Apostles' Creed, you're not explaining anything. You're saying, this is what I believe. You're making a confession of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you're making a confession of faith. It's a declaration of what we believe by faith, by faith, which means that when you and I use those words, I believe, those two words carry a lot of weight. They have a lot of meaning. I could say that I believe that chair right there in the front row exists, uh, that's one thing, and I used to kind of make, you know, but I don't really believe that chair is what it is until I put myself in it, right, and trust it. But I kind of have moved, we got to move beyond just the logic part of that. When I look at that chair, to believe it exists actually believes something else. It believes that that chair actually, the nature of that chair is to provide me rest. Do I believe that that chair will provide me rest. So the words, I believe in God, means more than you just agreeing that God exists. Okay, I want to make sure we understand that. 
When I say Rich Doring believes in God, that's more than just me saying, I believe there is one. I believe there is a God, okay? It means that I've actually invested myself in who this God is, in who this God is. And here's what we believe, really quickly. We believe in one God. This God is not one of many gods. He's not the God at the top of the list of gods. He's literally it. This God is the only God, which is not a popular opinion. I get that, but it's what we believe. We believe that there is one true God, only one God. Then more specifically, we also believe that this God is all-powerful. From the beginning to the end, there's nothing that this God cannot do. He is almighty. That's the, that's the word that the writers of the Apostle Creed chose. He is almighty. The one God who can do anything. He has all ability. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's always. And this one God who is all-powerful is also the creator. He's the creator. God existed before creation. We sang about it this morning. He existed before time itself. God is above all laws of nature, and he answers to no one. He is all power. He is all knowledge. This God is all might. He is the one. So here, here's the descriptor. He is the one all-powerful creator. That's who this God is we say we believe. Now, can I just be honest? If you're like, hey, Rich, you should believe in this one God who is all-powerful and a creator. That seems distant to me. That, that doesn't seem very personal. It seems a, almost even a little bit cold. Okay? Hey, you should believe in this one God who is all-powerful, and he's a creator God. It seems distant. Um, it would be very tempting for me to look at a God that's described solely like that as uncaring. Maybe like a, a king who has a kingdom distant, removed, making judgments, but then in the end, not interested in the day-to-day -day activity of their subjects, that kind of a king. That, that's what that feels like to me. That's how I used to view God, indifferent. So it's no surprise that I became indifferent towards this God that just seemed like all-powerful creator, one God, but somewhere over there. So, we believe something else about this God, though. We believe God is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's called the Trinity, the three in one. Now, as hard as it is to wrap our brains around what that means and how that all works, we'll be talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through this series but here's what, what the point is. The apostles and the, the early authors of those, the creed, they chose this word father for a very, very specific reason. A very, very specific reason. When the early, cheater, the early leaders sought to describe the nature of God, they used this very, very specific term, father. How many of you have heard the one about the guys, the blind guys who walked into a bar? I know, a total squirrel, like we went just this way, right? Have you heard? Okay, so there's, there's like blind guys that walked into a bar, and in the bar there's an elephant. You know, 
No? Am I? Okay. So in the Bible, it's not even a joke. It's just a story. But, so why an elephant? I mean, why a bar? Because every good story happens in a bar. So that's, that's where this happens. So you've got these blind guys. They walk into a bar. There's an elephant in the bar. And uh, when they walk in, their job is to determine and describe what this elephant is like. So these guys, they're blind. They've never seen an elephant because they're blind, okay? And so the first one, he walks up, and he feels the trunk. He's like, man, an elephant is like a snake, a big snake, okay? okay. The other guy, he's walking behind the elephant. He gets smacked by the tail. He's like, wait, no, it's not like a snake. An elephant is like a paintbrush. It's like a paintbrush, a big paintbrush. Then there's another one that's like, no, and he's holding on to a leg. He's like, no, an elephant is like a tree. That's what an elephant is like. And then you got this fourth blind guy, and he's just walking, and blam. He just, he walks right into the side of, you know, elephants are like a wall. They're like a giant, giant wall. Let me ask you a question. Which blind guy is wrong? None of them. Okay. All the things that they said describe an elephant, but none of them sum up the entirety of it. All right? So when the authors of the creed decided we need to describe this God, they chose a word. They, they chose almighty and one creator, all these things, but they chose a word that they believed would summarize as much as possible of what you and I need to understand about this God. They chose Father. As believers, when we say, I believe in God the Father. We're also acknowledging that a father has what? Children. We're acknowledging that we are the children of this almighty, all-powerful God, this one creator God. A father who is almighty, a parent, he's not distant. He's a parent who created us and, 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 and he didn't walk away from us. He's invested. He's interested. He's caring. This God, the Father, is loving. And maybe you had a bad father. Maybe today you have a bad father, uh, an absent father. Or maybe you're thinking, <laughs> having even a father figure in my life would have been a luxury. That, that just didn't exist for you. Uh, so let's just say it. Fathers should, fathers absolutely should be associated with love and warmth and closeness and protection and care. That is a good father, right? That, that's a good father. And we all know all fathers fall short of that mark. But here's what we believe, that we actually have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father, and we believe there is something infinitely good about his fatherhood, about his parentage that goes beyond any earthly experience we might have or idea we might have of a father. So what do we have? When we say, I believe, what do we have? We have a loving father who welcomes us home. That's what we have. You and I have a loving father who welcomes us home. And I want to share just in the time that we have left the best story <clears throat> that I know about this loving father God. And it's Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 11. This is the story of a father and a son. 
There was a man, he had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So this is the prodigal son. Many of you are familiar with this story. Prodigal means wasteful. This is the story of the wasteful son. And uh, for a son to say what he said to his father uh, in that time in, in, in ancient Middle East would be like saying, Dad, uh, you're in my way. I want out of this family. My plans don't involve you. And so I'm actually asking for my inheritance as though you've already died. So in a way, you're already dead to me. I'm going to make my own choices in life. I would just like to have what is due me as though you no longer live. It's great. Great kid, right? Okay. So that, that's really what the request is. So in a culture where honoring a father is like at the top of the list, this was particularly shameful. Okay. And so this son, by all accounts, would have actually been shamed publicly. The father would have had the right, because of that request, to shame his child publicly and even maybe cast that child as far as out of the family because of the shamefulness of that request. That's how serious that breach of relationship was. So he wants his independence. He wants his distance. He wants out, but he wants out with all he can get. Okay, so this is, this is shameful. Right, And so the father has all the privilege to drop the hammer, to draw the line in the sand and say no more. And here's the response. So he divided his property between them. That was the response of the father. What that means is this father, in that moment of shame and pain, was willing to endure the agony of rejected love. He loved his son, but his son wasn't loving him back. And he was willing to endure the agony of rejected love. Loving us enough not to dictate our behavior, but giving us a free will to take what we want and actually leave home, leave relationship. And so that's exactly what the son does in the story. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living, okay? And then life takes a little turn on him. It says this, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. It began to be in need, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, there's a million spiritual, cultural issues of what is going on in that particular section of Scripture, that's for another day. But here he is, he's living with no home, and he's living as though he has no father. So I want you to pause for a second. The Apostles' Creed says this, <clears throat> I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We have a father who created us, his children. We are the objects of his affection. We are the objects of his love. And in this series, what's going to happen is we are going to talk about something called sin. And I get it. The idea of sin or the idea of a preacher standing up here and talking about sin elicits all kinds of emotions and, and all that kind of different stuff. It's going to come up often. And I understand the emotions that that elicits, but I want to share with you something that the Apostles' Creed does and the word father does. 
once you begin to view and understand God as a parent and you as a child, once you begin to make that connection, all of a sudden sin carries a different dimension. I don't know about you, I mean, in my own life, even still, sins are a list of things I should not do, right? That's, that's what we treat those as. Here's the list of don't do these things, and we're supposed to check, ourselves, check those off. I didn't do that today. Oh, man, I blew it. I did that one. Didn't do that, didn't do that. Got to try harder tomorrow, right? Sins are those lists of things that you shouldn't do because if you do those things, then God gets mad. And of course, then church people talk about you and post on Facebook about how you're ruining the world for everybody else. Am I wrong? I'm not. Okay. While sin is bad, when you begin to understand God as a parent, as God is father, sin is just not law-breaking anymore. As if God was just like some king ruler or supreme judge, which he is. But sin is more about unreturned love than just about broken commandments. Sin is about rejecting the love that's being offered to me and not returning it. That's what sin is. Knowing that, when the son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Who's the first person he thinks of when he gets to that point? His father. There's a reason. He knows his father is good. He knows his father loves him. Or he wouldn't have even allowed him to do the things that he's doing. Maybe if I can work hard enough or, or long enough, maybe I can earn back what I lost. And then, then maybe even I can have reconciliation with my father. So it says this, the son says, I'm going to set out, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, he goes to his father, he goes home. He goes home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. How does that flow today with your view of God? Can I just give you some perspective? The son had been dishonorable, but the father had also been dishonored. And in fact, it gets even a little bit worse because everybody in that village, everybody in that community would have looked at the father's response and they would have begun to treat the father with shame as well. What good father, what right father, what head of a household father would allow their child to disrespect their family like that, to disrespect the values of their village like that? And so this father now is living with shame from his community because of allowing his son to do those things. In ancient Eastern culture, the father would have, if, if that son returned in that fashion, the father would have had every right to put him outside of the gate of the home, outside into the street, and say, you need to stay there for a duration of time. And as that, that child is out there, for the father's sake, that would give the village the opportunity to come by and mock him, to maybe throw things at him, to even spit on him 
because of the shame that he had brought upon that household and upon that village. That would have been what would have happened. And then maybe, maybe the father could have said, all right, now you can come in. But what you're going to do is we're going to work this act of repentance. All the rabbis taught about it. This is how this works. You come in, but I'm not going to treat you as a family member. You have to work to show me that you truly repent. You have to work this off. And then maybe, maybe, maybe you're a part of the family again. That's not what happened. In fact, what happened could only be described as one thing, shameful. That father running out was shameful. It's daytime, the village is full of people, they're going about their business, and you have a father, he's looking down the lane, he's looking. Why is he looking? Because if his son comes home, here's what he knows. He wants to protect his child. This one that's betrayed him, he wants to protect his child from the shame that would be heaped on him from others. It says in the scripture he felt compassion. The word compassion comes from a root word meaning bowels. You're welcome. He sees his son and instantly feels sick because he knows. He knows what his son is about to endure as he comes home from these people. And so what does this father do? He takes his robe, pulls it up, and he runs. He runs out to greet his son. Middle Eastern noblemen do not run. They don't run. They wore those long, expensive robes. So to run meant your legs were exposed, which was shameful. This is so much a part of the Eastern culture, we don't get this. But in our Arabic versions of the Bible, there was no reference to this father running until 1860. It's called the Van Dyke Arabic Bible. They finally thought, well, we should probably say what the original manuscript said, which is that this father ran. He ran to greet his son. Why is he running? If you want the gospel, here it is. He takes the scorn, he takes the mockery, he takes the slander for his child's sin so that his child does not have to. So his child does not have to endure the consequences of his actions. So much love that he actually empties himself of his own pride, he empties himself of his own rights, he empties himself of his own honor, and in a reckless embrace, brings shame actually upon himself to throw his arms around this returning child and to cover him, to cover him. And the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. In fact, find a ring. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. I don't know about you. Sometimes when we throw the Apostles' Creed on that screen, I wonder if, I wonder if in the back of your mind you're thinking, 
We're going to say this again? Seriously? Pretty dry. Sounds like old school church. Well, welcome to old school church then. When you and I say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who is this Father that we say we believe in? Who speaks and worlds appear? Who commands all forces of nature, seen and unseen? Who knows the beginning from the end? and literally every single second in between, who breathes into dust and makes life. It makes life. He never deviates from love. He never changes. He's true, always. Who is this father that we say we believe in? He's a loving father who welcomes us home. Who welcomes us home. No limitations. No hesitation, no hesitance at all on the Father's part to take you home. My hope is in this series that we begin to understand and appreciate what we have. Because I think many times we don't. I think many times we forget. We get bogged down chasing things, chasing position, chasing influence, chasing attention, chasing all kinds of different things. And we forget. <laughs> and you know, I'll be the one to tell you this. We forget this isn't about us, actually. This is about him. And we are privileged to have this loving father who wraps his arm around us, protects us, guides us, keeps us from shame. He loves us. Next week, Pastor Ben is going to be sharing with us about Jesus. The immaculate, immaculate and amazing events that surround why we have Jesus and how he came to be. And uh, Pastor Ben is going to be sharing the next leg of this journey where we talk about how desperately God does want us to come home and what he's done to make that possible. In the meantime, can I tell you how much I appreciate you as a church? Uh, this is a journey that we're on. And uh, one of the things that happens often in journeys as you find yourself in different seasons. And uh, we're in all kinds of different seasons. There's just seasons of life and things change and adjustments get made. Uh, we have the privilege today of, uh, of honoring somebody and thanking somebody. And uh, I'm gonna ask you to do that with me here in just a second. But uh, we've had the privilege of having Hannah Aaron's now Patterson uh, as our worship director here since April. And uh, she's done an incredible job and, uh, and been amazing asset to our team. And uh, Hannah has recently, unbeknownst to her, uh, been sought out for something. And uh, she has recently accepted a position at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where she now has an opportunity also to pursue a master's degree and, uh, and work alongside some pretty amazing scholars and uh, Adam has some opportunities there as well. So uh, this week, Hannah shared that news with me. I was excited for her and Adam and this new prospect for us. It means uh, an opportunity to pray for me and your church board and, uh, and your worship team as we discern what uh, some next steps are as we examine our staff and examine everything that we need to do uh, in order to continue to live out the mission for the church. But I'm proud of Hannah and I'm proud of Adam. This was a short season. But uh, I tell you what, here's what I've learned quite a while ago. This is a great place 
to have any season. And uh, you guys have loved them and expressed your gratitude towards them in amazing ways that has made me exceptionally proud of you. And so I want to thank you, but at the same time, I'm going to have Hannah, if you would, if she would stand up. Would you thank Hannah? And she'll be with us for a few more weeks. But uh, <clears throat> And I want to encourage you to find her at some point today or in the next couple of weeks. Give her a hug. She'll love it. And uh, tell her thank you. And we're proud of her. We're looking forward to seeing how God uses them both in the days and the months and years ahead. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray together. Father, your grace is sufficient to meet us exactly where we are. And, uh, and today we come to you as a father. You've created us, Father, to lean into you. And so we do that today. Father, I know that there are people actually in this room right now that are just are dealing with tremendous pain. And... Uh, Maybe even sometimes the talk of a caring, loving father seems like trite information. Um, I pray that all of us would just begin to come to you in faith and believe. We know that you do provide comfort. And in this world, Jesus said, we will have troubles. But, uh, but he's overcome the world. This is the person we have our faith in. So, Father, I pray that you bring joy where it's lacking that you bring peace where there's chaos, that you bring assurance where there are questions. And Father, in all of these things, we glorify you and praise you in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in him we come to you. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here today.